Welcome back to another episode of Be Seen, the Astani Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering podcast at the USC Viterbi School of Engineering. If this is your first episode, my name is Emily and I'm the department advisor and co-host of the podcast. Be Seen highlights department research and provides a sneak peek view into student life and the community. Today, I'm joined by Associate Professor Dr. Qi-Ming Wang and Yan Chu Zhang, a third-year PhD student in his lab. Their research is focused on bio-inspired manufacturing and the mechanics of unprecedented materials and structures that can improve urban infrastructure and address plastic waste. We'll kick it off with some introductions from our guests. Hello, everyone. My name is Ximing Wang. I'm an associate professor at the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering of USC. Right now, we are working on uh, design new materials to address uh, engineering resilience and sustainability issues. I grew up in China and obtained my bachelor's degree from Fudan University in Shanghai. At that time, my major was in applied mechanics, basically that originally from a mathematics department. So my undergraduate course is pretty much like a mathematics oriented. So I got a lot of course training in math. So <laughs> that really laid a very solid foundation for my career development. So let's also advise for our next generation researchers or scientists, they should probably take very hard courses at the early stage that can really lay a very solid foundation for future. So in 2010, I obtained my bachelor degree and then I flew to North Carolina in the United States to pursue my PhD degree in mechanical engineering at Duke University. I was uh, very fortunate to work with a genius young professor, uh, Professor Xuan He Zhao, at Duke University, we were working on very interesting electroactive polymers. So basically research logic at that time was uh, how to harness deformation driven by electric field of these kind of materials to mimic the motion of human beings or animals. So at that time, we were very fortunate to invent a new material that can change color in response to the external electric field. So actually, uh, we feel very excited about this project because uh, when you look at nature, actually there are lots of uh, animals that can change color, freely change color in response to external stimuli, environmental stressors, for example, the squid. They can drastically change color if they encounter some enemies. And we thought we probably can use this kind of material to mimic the color changing phenomena of the squid or other marine animals. So that's why we feel very excited. And in 2014, I obtained my PhD degree in mechanical engineering. Later, I was fortunate to acquire a postdoc position at MIT working on additive manufacturing. I did this postdoc position because I feel I already got the skills and knowledge in designing materials, compositions. 
but uh, controlling the shapes or geometries of the material is equally important, especially when you design material structures to engineering applications, right? At that time, um, energy manufacturing indeed a very hot and emerging area. So I pursued that direction along energy manufacturing right after one year uh, in 2015, I was so lucky to have the opportunity to be a tenure track assistant professor at USC. So previously, my degree all in like applied mechanics or mechanical engineering. But while I come to civil and environment engineering, because I realized I already acquired the skills, knowledge in designing materials, composition, uh, shapes, geometries, and I feel it's time to apply those knowledge to societal level, big problems, right? And the Department of Civil and Environment Engineering indeed provide such broader vision for me, especially when we look at, as I mentioned, grand engineering challenges in the 21st century, list on the website of National Academy of Engineering, there are 14 grand challenges and even three or four of them related to civil and environment engineering. So civil and environment engineering really provide bigger version for me to pursue how to use the new materials I designed to address these kind of bigger issues. As I mentioned, how to address infrastructure issues, how to address clean water issues, how to address global warming issues, right? Those kind of things. And actually, this indeed lead to my research themes in my research group. So before I introduce the research, probably I let my student Yen Chu to introduce himself a little bit, his background. Before Yanchu introduces himself, I just want to jump in and discuss something that Dr. Wang referenced in his introduction, the grand challenges for engineering. For those that are unfamiliar with these challenges, I encourage you to look into them at engineeringchallenges.org, which I will link in the episode description. They were created by the National Academy of Engineering to identify the key engineering challenges that we'll face in the 21st century. A committee of international representatives created the list of 14 goals or challenges that will improve life on the planet. The 14 goals are grouped into four areas, sustainability, health, security, and the joy of living. If you take a look at these goals, the field of civil and environmental engineering touches so many of them, which is what drew Dr. Wang to his research. His work has the potential of having a significant impact. Just wanted to give everyone a little context to the challenges that he referenced. Okay, back to Yanchu's introduction. Hello everyone, my name is Yanchu Zhang. I'm a third year PhD student working with Professor Wang, and I mainly work on the uh, mechanics and fabrication of new materials, especially by using some biological methods or microbiological methods. So our current research focuses on using microbiological methods to recycle plastic waste. Nowadays, plastics are extensively used in our daily lives and industry, like water bottle, furniture, electronic devices, and so on. They also bring us many severe environmental and ecological problems because it usually takes several decades for plastics to degrade. 
moreover, plastics are very difficult to recycle and reuse. Even though some plastic products are claimed to be recyclable, currently only 21% of the plastic waste can be recycled. So confronting by the increasingly serious uh, environmental challenge. I need to correct. Only 9%. 9%. That's even more serious. <laughs> so confronting by the increasingly serious environmental challenges, our lab has been dedicating ourselves to seeking for uh, an eco-friendly and sustainable solution. We discovered that a certain type of bacteria can be attached to the surface of plastics by forming dynamic bounds. If we mechanically grind the plastic waste into plastic powder, then we can use bacteria as bonding agent to connect plastic powder into plastic bacteria composites. And this material has excellent mechanical strength, toughness, and damping effect. Apart from that, this material also exhibits some living properties, including self-healing and self-strengthening by virtue of bacterial activities. Most surprisingly, this material can generate electricity. So from a higher level of perspectives, we do not only recycle the plastic waste, but we also provide an idea and concept of using this kind of engineered living material to build our next generation infrastructure. So imagine in the future, all the buildings will be built with this kind of engineered living materials, which is able to heal and strengthen or even power themselves. I believe our research will provide a possible solution regarding the plastic waste and energy crisis. So the grand challenges we want to try to address is one of them is how to restore or how to repair the urban infrastructure. So we probably realize our urban infrastructure actually is failing and aging over time, right? And lots of countries like United States or other countries, we, we don't have enough money funding to repair it, to restore it because the project is so big, right? We really don't have enough funding to repair it. But actually, these uh, infrastructures just keep failing and aging. We have to address that, right? This is a big issue. And our human beings currently, we don't have a very good solution for that. So we are puzzling this for so many years. That's why this issue was listed on one of the 14 grand challenges, right? And when human beings do not know how to address engineering problems, we look at our neighbors on this planet. So on this planet, we not only human beings on this planet, right? we have also other living organisms on this planet, our neighbors, like animals, like plants, like uh, uh, bacteria, fungi, this kind, all these kind of living organisms, right? And let's observe them. Let's look at how they build their homes, build their structures, right? Or maintain their metabolism, all these things. And our philosophy is let's try to learn from them and get some wisdom from them or even directly involve them into our engineering project, engineering endeavor, all these kind of things. So 
let's say to be short, the philosophy, research philosophy in my research group is really try to design different classes of uh, bio-inspired living materials that we directly evolve living components into our engineering materials. So when we look at traditional engineering materials like our desks, bridges, buildings, these kind of structures, they are all dead, right? There are no living components inside. That's why they are very different from the living organisms, right? The living organisms, when you have damages, failure, they can repair themselves, right? And living organisms, when they are aged, they can regrow, regenerate. But our dead engineering materials, they cannot because they don't have living components inside, right? They cannot self-generate. They cannot self-grow. They cannot self-repair. And our philosophy is how about we directly put living components into our traditional engineering materials. These uh, living components have interactions with our engineering materials. So this kind of interaction may lead to a new type of material we call hybrid living materials, or here we call the bio-inspired living materials that potentially can also feature some living properties like self-growing, self-regeneration, self-remodeling, self-healing, and self-strengthening, those kind of things that previously only exist in the biological living materials, but not exist in engineering materials. This is our philosophy. So to achieve that, we really harness the uh, knowledge from different disciplines, for example, uh, biology, uh, microbiology, or also additive manufacturing, advanced manufacturing. Because when we design material structure, we also need to consider the shape and geometries, right? As I mentioned. So we really incorporate the living components into our engineering material and design this kind of uh, new type of material into different shapes and geometries. That's what we are doing. Hopefully, our longer vision is this kind of new types of bio-inspired living materials potentially can serve as a next generation infrastructure that can behave like the biological living materials to self-grow, self-strengthen, self-remodel, self-healing, those kind of things, right? That is our philosophy. So broader philosophy. So uh, Yen Chu mentioned our world project. One of the project is to involve this living bacteria into our uh, plastic waste material. So plastic waste material, as we mentioned, only 9% of them can be recycled, right? That indeed, lots of them, we just, how we adjust others, just directly deliver to landfill. So we just discovered them. So there's so many plastic on this planet and we, we don't even process them. We just discard in the environment. And these kind of plastic, for example, the water bottles we drink every day, the water bottles will be degraded for over 100 years in the environment. That's really, really slow, induce lots of environmental issues. And the question is, can we increase the recycling rate? Right? They're only 9%. Can we use this kind of plastic waste? We are not 
only just discard land, we reuse land. We use land as more useful material. Typically, how people reuse it, people take it as a garden pot. <laughs> that is called a down cycle, right? <laughs> we, we use it as a lower value product. So the question is, can we use it as a high value product? That's our philosophy. Can we process land, use land as a new type of material that be more functional than the traditional plastic material, right? Here is a philosophy. And we found out very interesting thing here is if we evolve the living microorganism inside the plastic material, we find out this living microorganism can really provide the so-called dynamic bonds to bond these kind of plastic particles. And they can bridge into a very rigid material. This rigid material potentially can be used as, uh, uh, for example, furniture. They can use as a furniture into different shapes and they can use as uh, packaging materials or even as building materials to build uh, shelters for hazards, for example, hurricane shelters. For example, there is a hurricane. People want to build a very convenient house with uh, one or two days, right? And this kind of material potentially can be used. They just uh, collect some plastic waste and then blend with uh, uh, bacteria and then you build it into a shape. And this, uh, we found out this type of material can even generate electricity. Let also provide a vision that potentially people can use it to build a so-called self-powered building. This conversation about repurposing plastics is interesting. When we think about sustainability and supporting the environment, we often think of the three R's. Reduce, reuse, recycle. There's a heavy emphasis and responsibility placed on the consumer to reuse materials or to recycle. And as Yanchu and Dr. Wang mentioned, the vast majority of plastics cannot be recycled and take a long time to decompose. So looking at ways to effectively repurpose the waste and utilizing bacteria to alter the properties can open the door to a wider use of existing plastics. As you can hear from this conversation about their research, Dr. Wang's work involves biology, physics, civil engineering. It's just very interdisciplinary. So I wanted to ask what were some key things he looks for in a potential doctoral student. But I was very surprised to hear his answer, along with how Yanchu's path led him to this lab. So for my personal perspective, I think the most important thing for like say a future PhD student, the most important thing is motivation. This motivation really comes from they know what they love, what they want. Probably uh, for, let's say when you graduate after undergrad, typically, I don't know in United States, probably in China is already 20, 21 years old, right? 21 or 22 years old, already grown-ups. <laughs> so for grown-ups, they, they should know what they want, what they love. I would say you really need to know what you love, what you really want to do, because life is short. If you do something is just for people expect you to do, for example, your parents say, okay, pursuing PhD degree is honorable is different, can make a difference. You should do it. But if you don't like it, you shouldn't do it. 
You should pursue something you really like. I encounter so many students, they don't like their major. <laughs> they hate their major for years. <laughs> this That's so common, right? That's so common. And they, they say, oh, I pursue graduate degrees just because my parents asked me to do it. Ah, I say, don't do it. If you don't have enough motivation, if you don't know this is indeed what you love, don't do it. So, <laughs> so you really need to know you love it. You really need to know you love to do research or innovation to move the society forward. That's the only thing you need to know. If you are not sure, or even you pretend you are sure, please don't do it. <laughs> The key is motivation. When you have the motivation, you are eager to know more, right? You are eager to dig the knowledge by yourself. You are eager to learn the knowledge by yourself in the spare time. You will learn by yourself. You don't need other people to push you. You just do it by yourself. That's the only important thing. And for, let's say, knowledge background, I have very, very... Little requirement, probably no no requirement for knowledge background. So in my in my lab, we have background from civil engineering, mechanical engineering, material science, even like physics, or even some biomedical engineering department student. They want to join us as graduate student. So I would say the basic requirement is science and technology oriented subjects. That's the only thing you cannot from probably literature. <laughs> so that's the only requirement. And you can learn knowledge easily if you have motivation. Because uh, the, the fundamental philosophy is like this. The school just teach you how to learn. The school doesn't teach you all the knowledge you should know. The school just teach you the method to learn. So with the method, you can learn a lot of things. And in undergraduate study, you should acquire such a method. That method is called self-learning. If you have that, you have that skill. You can learn anything you want, just if you have motivation. So I would like to introduce my personal journey from undergrad to PhD student. I grew up in China and I did my undergrad at Nanjing University of Technology in China and I majored in civil engineering. At that time, I wanted to become a bridge engineer. So what I have learned was basically structure design, concrete structures, steel structures. But later I found that I had more passion and interest in more theoretical knowledge like mathematics and mechanics. So I decided to pursue a graduate degree. So I applied for engineering mechanics for a master's degree. I went to United States at Columbia University. And at that time, I learned lots of more theories, including nonlinear mechanics or finite element methods. And I found that that is what I loved. So I made up my mind to get a PhD degree. And during a master's degree, I had several research projects in mechanics of energy harvesting systems like solar panels or something. And since then, I think that energy must be a very important subject in the future. 
So I wanted to do something interdisciplinary. So it was also a very interesting and amazing experience how I reached out to my current PhD advisor. Like three years ago, we both participated in a conference and I found that my advisor's project is very interesting, very novel, making high impact. And luckily, I also got a first place in a student paper competition. So my professor remembered me as well. And after that, I applied for USC and I found this is the place I should go. So in my lab, Every student, I would say, I'm so fortunate to have so many great students in my lab. All my students work very hard and they are all very great students because uh, the only thing I value is motivation. That is the most important thing when I pick students. So they have motivations. They can self-motivate. I don't need to have too much inputs. <laughs> so they can, they can motivate themselves, do things as they planned. That's very important. And everyone try to help each other. The environment is very friendly. And I have a so-called open door policy for all my group members. So if they have any updates or anything they want to talk to me, they just knock my door. If I'm in the office, just let's talk. Let's discuss. That's, uh, that's my policy. So I think all these guys can easily find me, talk to me. If I'm in the office anytime, just feel free to knock my door. Let's talk. Yeah, in our lab, how we communicate with professor is a little different from other groups. So basically in other groups, maybe they have a weekly group meeting, but we don't have. What we have is whenever we students, we have something to report then we can immediately reach out to our advisor and we can have a discussion either via Zoom or in person. And I think that provides us much uh, flexibility because sometimes the experimental process may not be satisfying. Sometimes during the entire week, we end up with nothing. Yeah, it's a little frustrating. Yeah, by having a weekly meeting, sometimes we can't report some very valuable results. But right now, we are very flexible. So whenever we have something important to report, then we can uh, reach out to our professor as soon as possible. Yeah, this is slightly different from many other groups. This is also my personal experience. I find out this is more efficient. I find out a large group discussion is less efficient than small group discussion. I really value the small group discussion. I mean, only two or three students just let's discuss on one project within a short time and give some guidance or report some results in a very efficient way and very flexible. And again, my student can easily find me if they want. Motivation seems to be the driving force for this lab which has created an environment that is a little different from the other labs you've heard from in previous episodes. This idea of the lack of weekly meetings seems to foster an environment for more productive and intentional conversations, but it also comes with a risk. Students then must be incredibly accountable for their work in progress and take initiative to meet with lab mates and the professor. While I'm someone that personally prefers some structure, I think the setup of this lab lends itself to more student ownership of the work. If you are a prospective student that has this internal drive and responsibility, looking for a lab like this could be your key to a successful doctoral experience. 
Before ending the conversation, I wanted to hear from Yanchu and Dr. Wang about their work-life balance. They both seem like very passionate researchers, but how do they choose to relax? The work-life balance is very important for students to refresh their minds after they have a very long time hardworking. So for me, I got many different types of hobbies. Uh, I like to ride bicycles. It's a weekly training. Sometimes I ride 40 miles. I can ride from downtown LA to Long Beach and then ride back. Or sometimes I ride my bicycle and climb the mountain at Elysium Park for eight laps for the entire afternoon. And I think doing exercise can make my mind clear. And also I like music a lot. I like to listen to different genres, including Japanese city pop, Hong Kong music, or classical music. And I also like to play the music. I can play the electric guitar. And most interestingly, I like to play violin music on guitar. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. And I also like reading books, all kinds of books. I have a very large bookcase at my home, and I have lots of books in math, mechanics, and literature. And sometimes during my spare time, I practice myself by doing the math problem because that's a very important skill. Yeah, he is a, indeed a science lover. <laughs> so my personal strategy is I will give up lots of things. That means I only do the most important things. This is uh, sometimes feel a little bit brutal because you only do the most important thing because I, I saw this life, life is really short. You really need to focus your energy on the most important things. And this importance level that totally judged by yourself. That's why you really need to find out what's your inner love, right? You put most of your energy on the inner love issues. For example, doing research, write grants, do teaching. As I mentioned, outside my office, I'm a person driven by dreams. <laughs> so recently I'm working on a startup project. So in my spare time, I do programming. So I can program like uh, iPhone apps. So right now we are programming and hopefully we can launch it. I hope early next year. It's almost finished. We are just troubleshooting to double check everything works clear. In the end, I think both Dr. Wang and Yanchu are passionate learners. From Yanchu choosing to do light mathematical reading to Dr. Wang's development of an app, they seem to both truly enjoy scientific exploration in their spare time. While we have about a year to wait until the launch of Dr. Wang's app, don't worry, you won't have to wait that long for the next episode of Be Seen. And that closes out our episode today. Thank you, Dr. Wang and Yanchu for joining me. And as always, thank you listeners for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and come back in a month for the next one. Bye.